0: I just, before I came out today, looked in the morning show and uh, one of the channels, and it had a little picture of three small houses somewhere in this country, I, I don't know where, where they were going to evict the people that lived in it because they insisted on putting Christmas decorations and a crash in front of the house, and so they had been warned by the owners of these buildings that they'd be evicted if they didn't take them down. Is this America? It just shattered me. And especially saying, I've just come back two days ago from Egypt. I happened to have to walk to the church I was going to preach at on Friday morning, which is the holy day for the majority of the people in that land. And as I walked out of my hotel, the call to prayer echoed from a thousand minarets, so it sounded. And Cairo emptied onto the street. And I was going against the crowd. The mosque was behind me, And I was walking to the Māori church, which was in the opposite direction. I was a woman alone. I was a woman with my gray hair flowing freely in the breeze. And I was meeting hundreds of faces that represented other symbols, other beliefs. And for the first time, I honestly think that for the first time in my life, I became conscious of my cross. I, I never remember being conscious of it, really conscious of it before. And I, as I walked along, I thought, do I just slip this inside my shirt or do I leave it there? Wondering what was culturally and Christianly the right thing to do in that situation. Seeing I was on my own, I didn't have a member of that Arabic church with me to tell me what I should do. And so I just left it. And I suddenly realized the symbolism and how important that was. And it was really quite a personal experience for me. And I remember just fingering my cross and saying, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And I'm so glad to have this symbol of the reality around my neck in the face of a lost world. So, I love that. It's telling us physically what Christmas is all about. On the way to Egypt a couple of weeks ago, Stuart and I had to stay overnight before we could get our plane in Frankfurt on the way there. And the paper was at the breakfast table and, of course, it was in German. My husband, fortunately, speaks fluent German. I don't. And so I said to him, what are all those kids doing on the front of the paper? And he said, well, the entire first section of the Frankfurt main paper is asking three to five-year-olds what they believe about Christmas. And I said, oh, I want to read it. Tell me about it. So he translated it for me. And it was very interesting, the... Weiner which is the Christmas man, as they call him, they were discussing him, and one said, why doesn't the Weiner man have an aeroplane? Well, why doesn't he have a round table of experts to talk about Advent, said another. This is five-year-olds. Do they know each other, Jesus and the Christmas man, asked Joanne. Oh, yes, they they work together. (laughs) One picks the gifts, and the other brings them. No, no, they have to get them ready and pack them. One of them packs the gifts. Jesus packs the gifts. No, no, that's the angel. Well, they make the gifts in England, <laughs> said Anna. The Weinecks tells the children where to take the gifts, says Max. Do you mean the Weinecks is chief of Jesus? No. Talk about confusion, huh? Yes, he is, said Joshua. Um, If they're confused in a country where there is no separation of church and state and Christmas is Christmas and all the papers are full of it and there's no problem and the kids are still confused, then I think our children are doubly confused in America. As I was coming back from Chicago, we were being driven home by a friend two days ago, and he was fiddling with the radio and Country and Western came on. And I said, that'll do. I enjoy Country and Western. And there was a song, a Christmas song. And one of the verses said this, Santa knows that we are all God's children, so we know everything will be all right. So say your prayers to the Lord Almighty, for we know Santa comes on Christmas night. Is it only the children that have got all this mixed up? Isn't that incredible? And, I mean, I love Christmas songs. My favorite is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> love that song. <laughs> it was hysterical. Picture of Grandma drinking too much eggnog, you know. I'm sure you've heard it. But the confusion is there. And I was saying to the committee yesterday as we prayed before we took the meeting yesterday... I have such a heavy heart this Christmas for many reasons, but one of them is just for Him. And I want to keep apologizing for the human race. I mean, think about it God came in Christ to us in order that we can go to heaven at Christmas knowing it would mean his death. And he still came. And I wonder when he looks down this year, our man year, for he lives in eternity outside of time. But as he looks at us, I just wonder if he thinks, what's with the reindeer? It's all about a cattle shed and sheep. Camels. And uh, as I say, I just want to apologize to the human race, which I do, Lord. But as for me, I want to tell my world what Christmas is all about. Those of us that love Jesus, I know this is an incredible opportunity to do just that. There's a little verse in John 10.10. 10. I am come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly or life to the full or the fullness of life. And that's when Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd. You know, in the Old Testament, he was called the shepherd of Israel. Um, That was a loving term that the people of Israel loved to think about. He is our great shepherd. Think of David's Psalms, Psalm 23. He's the good shepherd. And the shepherd became a little lamb, didn't he, at Christmas? He, the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Who is that baby in the manger? I have talked about that to people all over the world. I remember in Japan years ago, Stuart and I were at, on a university campus, and most of the students that we were working with that day had very good English. And one of them said to me, What do you mean that you are Christians? I've, I don't know what that means. And so Stuart said, Well, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And she said, no. Is that a brand of cigarette? And she's a student, bright, educated, in Japan. And yet there are so many people that have never heard his name once. Not once. And what a joy it is to tell them, and Stuart began with that student, said, let me tell you a story. And he told her the Christmas story. I wondered, where's he going to start? I mean, where do you start? Do you start at the cross? Do you start with the Bible stories? Do you start in the Old Testament? Where do you start with somebody that's never heard his name, certainly doesn't know what a Bible is? I've had that experience this year, up with the Inca Indians in Peru. I've had that experience up along Siberia, with tribes that are trying to find out what Christianity is. And I have had the experience of standing up in front of people with an interpreter and saying, this is a Bible, which the people in front of me have never heard of or seen. Where do you start? But I'm learning to start at Christmas. That God came. That baby in the manger, I believe, as a believer, a Christian, was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Stuart and I were with friends in Belgium a couple of years ago now, not last year. And it was on the Riviera, it was very up and outish. it was with people that intimidated me, always have, very rich, wealthy people, and they asked us to go and have a few days with their church among these people. And there were some men in the room uh, who were the committee and three of them said, well, Jill, we didn't tell you until now because we were trying to get it together, but this morning, like in about half an hour, we're going to put you in a car and take you to the country club and you're going to talk to about 300 women that we three men have made sure will come. We have paid for a fabulous meal at the country club and as far as we know, every single one of them is not a believer. And I said, well, thanks for telling me. (laughs) And well, yes, we need to be getting along. So we get in the car, and I am thinking, oh my word, what do we do? We get to the country club, we go out, everybody's drinking on the veranda, absolutely gorgeous place, right on the ocean. And I leave them, and I go into the dining room, which is empty, and I put my back to the door, and I get my Bible out, and I say, Lord, where do I begin? And it was November, it was right at the end of November, and the Lord very definitely impressed upon me a sort of thought, Christmas, You start at Christmas. And so I just was turning in my Bible, and I didn't see her come in, but a beautiful UK girl, tall, gorgeous, she came round me, and she sat at my feet on the floor, and crossed her legs, and looked at me, and said, can you help me? And I said, well, I'd love to, what do you want? She said, my name's Victoria, and I'm on a journey, and, and I can't find what I'm looking for. And I looked at her and realized she was indeed on a journey. She was festooned with typical UK, typical Europe at the moment, spirituality, looking for spirituality, not looking for Christ, but looking for what they're looking for. She had markings all over her, she had crystals around her, neck. She had two crosses She said to me, believe it or not, she said, you see, I've got crosses on. You're a Christian lady, right? I said, yes. And she said, well, one of my crosses is empty and one has a little man on it. She hadn't a clue. I said, I'm going to tell you about that little man on the cross in a minute. But I said, I see that you're really searching. Well, yeah, I I think that's what I'm doing. I said, which of the philosophies you're into? And she told me she was a channeler, you know, apart from everything else. Which of the philosophies you're into has helped you the most? And she said, oh, that's easy, astrology. I said, oh. I said, let me tell you a story. And I told her the Christmas story. I said, there were three astrologers. They lived in Persia. Mighty men, princes of their country and tribes. Incredible They read the stars, they understood. There were messages there from the gods as they thought it. And one day they saw a star they'd never seen before. And it appeared just at the right time. And it told them a king had been born, in their belief. And they left everything, and they made this incredible journey. She had never heard this story. And they came to a stable. And then something triggered, and she said, Oh, yeah, yeah, stable. That's Jesus'. I said, right. And they came in, and there was a baby in the manger. And they knelt at the manger, and they worshipped him. And I said, Victoria, every religion in the world will do that. They will kneel at that crib one day and acknowledge that baby is God of gods, Lord of lords, and King of kings, God of all gods, Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And I said, you know, when you find out who that baby is, you'll find what you're looking for. I had quite a talk and then everybody came in and I told them all the Christmas story, which was about to happen in Belgium in a couple of weeks. And so it's a great place to start. I came, said jesus who came who was he was he really god how can we figure this well when you think about it everything to do with the christmas story is sort of supernatural started with what we christians believe was a conception that had never happened before in the history of human beings and humankind a conception of a real live baby without a human father miracle and everything was attended by angelic beings Maybe you find it difficult to believe in angels. I don't find it difficult. And the more I travel this world, the less difficult I find it to believe in angels. But there were angels all over the Christmas story. An angel came. Mary was just getting water from the well, you know, just starting off for breakfast. And here's Gabriel. Gabriel, one of the biggest, greatest, marvelous messengers of God. And he said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, yes, I know. I'm going to get him married to Joseph, and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. No, the angel said, I've come to ruin your life, actually. (laughs) It's not going to be Joseph's baby. Well, what do you mean it's not going to be Joseph's baby? You're going to be overshadowed, the word is. You're going to be overshadowed. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And Mary was totally overwhelmed but she was overshadowed. When you're overwhelmed, remember you're overshadowed. And she said, well, I don't understand, but be it unto me according to your word. Uh, And she didn't say, go choose another Mary. (laughs) She said, I'll be the Mary to bear the Christ. And angels were all over the place. They were up on the hillside. Hundreds of angels, hosts of angels. And the unexpected... Shepherds, the unexpectant shepherds. They weren't expecting angels. They didn't make it up. Angels everywhere. Joseph, believing she'd been unfaithful. For a uh, betrothal is the same as a marriage. Actually, we went to two betrothals, or they came to us in the hotel where we were staying in Egypt. Two betrothal my word. They went on for about six hours. It was the most incredible thing, and it was very interesting to be there and watch it. That's the wedding as far as it's concerned, although they never sleep together for a year or two years or whatever until the marriage ceremony, which is very minimal, takes place. But betrothal is the thing. And Mary had got pregnant in between the betrothal and the wedding, which in Jewish law means she should have been stoned to death because she had committed adultery in man's minds. And what happened? Joseph is figuring, how am I going to save a life? She's going to be stoned. Synagogue's not going to put up with this. And maybe I can put her away privately. Maybe I can get her up to the hill country and, and divorce her quietly. And suddenly has an angel. Do you think Joseph was trying to make some fantastic story up? He needed convincing. Angels all over the place. And so he marries Mary. Who was this baby? It's going to be no ordinary child. I was thinking, Jill you're going to have your first baby, right? And you will definitely be thinking, this is no ordinary child. Every mother believes her baby is no ordinary child, but this was an extraordinary child, birthed in a way that none of us have been birthed and none of your children have been birthed. God chose to do it this way. He chose to come. And when Jesus said, I am come, he said it to a lot of people that had got used to having him around and seeing him be a healer and be a helper and open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead and all of that, but they'd forgotten who he really was. And even Philip, even his closest people, said to him one day, if you just show us God, I'd be happy. Jesus, show us the Father, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, look at me. You're looking at him. I've been with you three years, what's the matter with you? Don't you recognize me? And I often think, did Philip suddenly realize he had his father's eyes? I don't know. But as he looked at him, he saw God. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I came, said Jesus. And another thing that I always tell people when they're doubting the baby is any different from any other baby... The Bible is a most extraordinary book. It writes history in advance. So all the people in the Old Testament talked about the Messiah, the anointed one, God himself who had come in human flesh. They talked about him in, in the Old Testament from Adam all the way through to the end of the prophets. And they gave details. They gave details of which Bethlehem he would be born in. There were two Bethlehems. Bethlehem of Frata, they said. And then another prophet said, and his lineage will be this, and traced it all the way from David, which, of course, Joseph and Mary's lineage was spoken about, their heritage, in the Old Testament. So these people are writing history in advance all the time. They're called prophets. And there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus, not only about his birth, which there were, but that he would become a Nazarene, and come from Nazareth, and we know that that was true. He grew up in Nazareth, and not only about what would happen when he those silent thirty silent years were happening. The Bible talks about those as well, and where he'd be and what would happen. But it also talks about his ministry. And Jesus himself stood up in his home church. He said to his home church crowd, "I am anointed to open the eyes of the blind." And to help the oppressed and to set the prisoner free. And everybody in that synagogue knew that spoke about God coming in human form. All the prophets have been talking about it since Genesis days. And they looked at him. It says every eye was on him. And Jesus put the scroll together after reading it out and said, I'm here. He sat down. And the shock isn't this the carpenter? (laughs) yes but this is God in a carpenter's body and his life then began to show them all the prophecies were true he opened the eyes of the blind he raised the dead and when people doubted his words he said look at my works if you don't believe my words watch me see what God is doing through me feeding the 5,000 people miracles walking on water Only God can do that sort of thing. And so, prophecy came true. Some clever people that are mathematicians, which I am certainly not. I married one. I married a bank inspector. And when my checkbook gets in a mess, I open another account. So, (laughs) you can see we're very different. So, this is something somebody told me, who is a brilliant mathematician, that The chances of all these things people said before it happened, of happening, the chances are are nil. It's like throwing the Milwaukee phone book up in the air and all the names come out and are all jumbled around in the wind and they all come down in the right order. That's the chance. Just by chance, Jesus, this man that lived, could have fulfilled all the things that said about him. And he couldn't have arranged it. I was arguing with a student not long ago. She oh, Jesus knew what it said about the Messiah and he just went around and magic man, he made these things happen and he, he looked, what does it say about me? And he pretended to be God. And I said, well, how did he pretend to be born in the right place at the right time to the right parents? And how did he pretend and get it all to work when he was on the cross? And it says in Isaiah that people will come and play a game for his clothes. Did he shout from the cross, hey, you guys, would you come over here and just, you know, throw the dice for my clothes so that people will know I'm the Messiah? No, 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 no. Stupid. People ask us to believe what is wilder than the truth, (laughs) that he was indeed God. I came, I came, says God in Christ. And what did he come to do? To give life. To give life. What sort of life? We've got life. Well, there's another sort of life we don't have before he gives it to us, and it's called eternal life. All of us want to go and live in heaven, then you need eternal life to survive in heaven. To live in heaven, you have to have that sort of life. And this sort of life, human life, won't do You can't live in heaven with the life that we have. We need to receive eternal life. What's that? The life of the eternal one. What sort of life does Jesus have? Eternal, everness life. And he comes to give it to us. What does that mean? He wants us to receive his very own life. How can that be? Well, he died on the cross for us he rose again, he went back to heaven, and he sent his other self, his life, his spirit. And that's how he can come into our hearts at Christmas. It's not very hard. Somebody said to me not too long ago on an airplane, I have wonderful conversations on all the airplanes I go on, and this particular person said, well, I don't get it. How can Jesus come into our hearts or our lives? And I said, "Well, I don't get it either. It's, too, it's a mystery." But, but I said, "It, it, it can happen. It, it happens." And I told him my own experience of being in an air raid shelter during the war, the Second World War, in case you were wondering whether it was the first <laughs> or the same. And little girl of six in Liverpool, England, UK and praying frantically, absolutely panicked as the bombs were coming down and down and down and down, and praying that God would stop the bombs, and he didn't stop the bombs. But what happened to me in that area shelter, I began to pray through the Apostles' Creed. I wasn't churched, I I didn't know about Jesus, I wasn't a believer, but I knew the Apostles' Creed from school, and that's pretty good theology, I've discovered. And so I began to pray to God the Father and I prayed to God the Son and I prayed to God the Holy Ghost, we called him, not the Holy Spirit in those days. I prayed to God the Holy Ghost and my six-year-old mind just stopped, camped on that verse. It's the Holy Ghost. My mother believed in the Holy Ghost? My sister believed in the Holy Ghost? Did I believe in the Holy Ghost? Well, bomb fell, so I didn't care who he was. I began to pray to him and I prayed fervently, as a little girl of six, oh, Holy Ghost, I don't know who you are and where you are, but please, would you stop the bombs and please, would you help my heart? And I remember my little heart was going like this and I was clutching my mother and my mother was clutching my sister and I in that dark hole underground. And suddenly, into that air raid shelter came the Holy Ghost. Couldn't see him. Oh, I could feel him. And my little heart started to go slower. And I looked up to see if the Holy Ghost was helping my mom. And she had her head buried down, and my sister did, so I didn't know if he was helping them, but he helped me. And, and I just relaxed. And I just knew God had come somehow. How does God give me eternal life? He comes himself in the power of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus' other self, that he sent forth at Pentecost. He said to his disciples, I'm going away so I can send my other self. See? And that happened at Pentecost. And it can happen again and again and again all over the world. As you and I say, I need eternal life. I ask the young mums, what do you want for your children? Oh, you say, I want them to be safe. I want them to grow up and I want them to marry somebody that will care for them and not abuse them and not leave them. Yeah, pray about it. I want them to be good people. I just, I just want them to love God. Of course, I want them to love God. Do you want to live with them forever? I would hope. Do you believe that's possible? Well, only if you all receive eternal life is it possible because only people with that quality of life can live in heaven. And your job, my job, as a mother, is to declare that to the next generation and to generations to come. I am come, said Jesus, to give you my life and to give it to the full. What does that mean? Well, I remember at the age of 18 listening to a girl that was trying to explain all this to me. And I said, I think if I accept this Holy Ghost and all of this and ask for forgiveness, he's going to rob me of everything I want to do. I think he's going to make my life miserable. of course, that's the devil's lie, but that's what I was thinking. If I became a Christian, and I said to her, what would I have to give up if I became a Christian? And she said, only your sin. I said, really? She said, do you need your sin? Sin doing you any good? What you, how you're living, Jill? Your lifestyle? Is that, is that doing you any good? Is it doing anybody else good? That you love? And that are friends of yours? And I said, uh, no. So she said, that's what you'll have to give up. You have to turn your back on your lifestyle, Jill. You have to turn around. That's conversion. Turning right around. 180 degrees. And that's what you'll have to give up. But I said, won't it make me miserable? and she said he might give you hard things but he'll help you bear them he'll be with you in it he's not going to make your life a bed of roses he never promised that in fact he said in the world you're going to have trouble but in me you'll have peace so you've got peace in the middle of the trouble in the world you will have trouble she said if you want to stay safe and secure then ask the devil to do that for you And he probably will. But if you want eternal life, then you receive it with all that comes with it, with a cross. And all that that means. And I was blessed to have somebody to explain that to me. But there I received eternal life. And that was hundreds of years ago. And there hasn't been one day in my life I haven't been sure of what I'm telling you today. I believe he came to give us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 1 John 5, 11, and 12. Go and look at it in your Bible. He came to give us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that doesn't have the Son doesn't have life life, doesn't have eternal life. So if you have Jesus living in your heart, if you've opened your life to him, if you've said, I'm sorry for this mess and this sin and this sins of omission and sins of commission, you just say sorry for all of that, put it at the foot of the cross and invite his spirit to come into your heart. He'll come. He promised. He that then has the son by his spirit living in his heart has eternal life. And what's what's it like it's, it's fullness of life. He said, not just any old life, life to the full. You say, but I, my life is full. Well, what's it full of? Is it full of things? Is it full of plans? What's your life full of? I have no doubt everyone here's life is full. But what's it full of? And Jesus said, if you would be full of me, you would be fulfilled. Not just filled with stuff that's not making you happy or satisfying you. And be filled with peace, when everything's chaos outside you, when you've got your head buried and the bombs are falling. Peace. And here, he'll fill you full of things that everybody's looking for, purpose, peace, and all of those things, the intangibles, things that really matter. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll coming in, who is was a wonderful Bible teacher, on some radio station. And he had just been to visit someone in hospital who just had a massive heart attack and they'd opened him up and saved his life. And he had this scar just over here. He was a friend of Chuck's. And this man had simply said to him, take time for Cynthia. You never know. Make sure that you put your arms around her and love her and give yourself to her Chuck because here I am, I thought I had 5, 10, 20 years, and, and look at me. Don't know whether I'm going to survive this. And Chuck Swindoll said, God has filled my life to the full with family, with marriage, with children, not without bumps and not without problems, but the real things that matter are love. And each other, not, not stuff, Right? And most of us, lives are full of stuff. And you don't realize that until you get as old as me. And you look back and you think, what really matters? And I want to testify that when Jesus Christ came into my life, he came and he gave me himself and he filled my life full. Absolutely full. When he asked us to give up everything, come with two suitcases apiece to the States, we did it. And my life was full. I didn't miss it a bit. Now we have a house full of junk this side of the Atlantic. (laughs) Right. Stuff. Jesus didn't say, come to me and I'll fill your life full of stuff. He said, I'll fill it full of me. (laughs) I'll fill it full of God. And then you'll have life to the full." And so that's what Christmas is all about. We forget. So don't be afraid or ashamed of getting your symbols out and putting them all over your life and all over your house and all over your conversation. Great opportunities. I preached a sermon once here. Christmas is coming and so are the relatives. (laughs) Not all of us are looking forward to Christmas. And the more brokenness there is in divorce and trouble, the harder Christmas gets. Take it from me. And how are we looking forward to it? By having a message to say, however hard it is, and whatever's happening in our lives, his life will give us words to say, attitudes, peace. We'll be a messenger of peace and reconciliation. God will give us something to do. God will give us something to say. This Christian life is absolutely incredible. I am come to give you life and to give it to the full. Pray with me, if you will. And I want to just offer a little prayer here, a little prayer that I was offered at the age of 18 to help you receive the Holy Ghost, to invite life with a capital L, Jesus life, into your heart. And it can be very simple. You can just say, Lord, I've known about this, but I've come to realize, I don't know if I really have experienced this. And I thank you. I do believe that baby in the manger was yourself. And I thank you for coming, knowing what you were coming to. A world that would reject you, not believe you, crucify you, kill you, torture you, and you still came. Because you love me. And you wanted to live with me forever. And so I need your life, eternal life, to do that. And it's incredible, Lord. I don't deserve it, but you offered it as a gift, and I ask you to give me eternal life right now, the life of the eternal one. Jesus, your life. Come into my heart. Be my savior, my friend my God, my life. Give me life to the full. I ask it for your sake. Amen.